defined by God. Defined by God. And the subtitle is The Surroundings. The surroundings you find yourself in, they don't define you. God defines you. And uh, we're going to look at Romans 12 and 2 as an inspirational scripture uh, for today's message. But there's some other scriptures I'm going to throw in too. And uh, we're just going to talk about being defined by God. Being defined by God. A reality in our culture is that uh, we're surrounded. We're surrounded and really, if you think about it long enough and hard enough, we are outnumbered. Now think about, uh, you know, the, the different stories. I remember watching old westerns, which I'm pretty fond of as a movie genre. Uh, and often there'd be a wagon train circled up as natives swirled around the outside and some character would turn to another and would say, they have us surrounded. And it was a moment of fear and panic. Or you think about police officers, they go in and they break into a, to a place where there's supposed to be some criminal activity and, and they say, give up, we got you surrounded. These words are meant to strike fear in any person that's going to be caught perpetrating a crime. Surrender because you, you're surrounded. You're surrounded. A wartime tactic has always been to circle the enemy and get them surrounded so that they would feel the pressure in order to surrender. And you and I today, we are surrounded. We are Surrounded. We're surrounded by a culture that is anti-Christ and anti-God. We're surrounded by a hyper-sexualized culture. We're surrounded by selfishness. It's a me-first generation. We're surrounded by materialism. The person who acquires the most is the winner in life. And we're surrounded by this unquenchable desire for more. We're surrounded by consistent and constant messages that promote godlessness within society and within our own homes and our own lives. And it amounts to this great, great pressure that is upon us that we would conform and that we would fit in and that we would become exactly what the world wants us to be. Messages like, if it feels good, then you do it. Don't worry about consequences. Don't worry about who will pay the price, which is ultimately yourself. But if it feels good, then you just do it. And there's a culture of placing self first above all else. If I'm uncomfortable, then I make a change as long as I can be comfortable. The acquisition of stuff makes you important. That's the message that we hear. And so what we have is we have personal responsibility is minimized. Accountability is non-existent, and commitment is never even expected in this world. You think about so many things in life, there's no commitment that's supposed to be expected. That comes into marriage and family and relationships, there's no commitment. Accountability, you can just do what you want to, it's non-existent. Personal responsibility, it's, it's the world's fault, it's someone else's fault, it's not my fault. It's my parents' fault even. 
And while we're in this world, as a Christian, we are not of this world. We struggle with the pressures of conformity that seem to have hit a level that we feel like probably have never been seen before, even though that's not true. It has been here consistently and constantly. But we, we have this sense that the world is just encroaching upon us and that there's this pressure to conform, to fit in. And I can remember being at work and, and, and knowing something was wrong, but not having the willingness or the boldness even to speak up because of the pressure of conformity. There's this nonstop message that is thrown at you every day. You believe in God? You're wrong. You don't take part in the joys of this world and the pleasures of life. You don't drink. You don't use drugs and alcohol and, and, and enjoy sex and, and do all of that stuff. Well, you're wrong. You're judgmental. You're wrong. You give money to a church. There's other charities out there. You're wrong. You see abortion as murder? No, that's free will. That's a choice. You're wrong. You think homosexuality is a sin? That's archaic. You're wrong. You dress simply and modestly? Well, that, that, that you're wrong. Try and fit in with the world's culture and, and fashion. You believe God created the world? You're wrong. You believe men should be men, women should be women, unique, distinct in their sex? You're wrong. Danger in such a pressure-filled environment lies in being changed to look like, to sound like, to act like, to become like what God has died to deliver, what Jesus Christ died to deliver each of us from. And that is the pressure we feel every day. It's the message we hear every day. And if you're not aware of it, if you're not cognizant of the message and the pressure that is put upon you to fit in and to fit into the mold and form to what the world wants you to be like, you run a dangerous game of becoming exactly what God does not care for and God even has disdain for. In 1511, a Spaniard named Gonzalo Guerrero was sailing with 15 others on a small ship traveling from Panama to Santo Domingo. The ship wrecked. The men managed to board the only single lifeboat that was on the ship and when those 15 men reached the land, they were captured immediately by the local Maya who were aware that they were there. The Mayans killed some of the ship's crew immediately. Guerrero and the rest were put into cages to be enslaved. They managed to escape but were soon captured by other Mayan leaders. And by 1519, the year Cortez began his conquest of Mexico, there were only two men from that original crew that remained alive. Gonzalo Guerrero was one of them, and he'd actually become this famous man among the Mayans. He was a war leader of, 
for Nachan Cal and one of the Mayan lords, or Nachan Can, one of the Mayan lords, and he married one of Nachan Can's daughters and had several children. Guerrero had even suggested war strategies that resulted in the defeat of some Spanish expeditions into the area. And when Cortez arrived in 1519 in New Mexico, he sent a letter asking Guerrero and the other Spaniard if they would come and they would join him and get back to being the Spaniards they once were. Guerrero for a long time did not respond. But after additional requests were made, he finally responded and his response came. He said, I'm married. I have three children. They look on me as a lord here and a captain during wartime. My face is all tattooed and my ears are pierced. What would the Spaniards say about me if they saw me like this? Guerrero having been surrounded by the Mayan culture for so many years, had eventually became more Mayan than he was Spanish. It's the danger you and I run when we're surrounded so much by a culture that is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-biblical, that we get this American sense and ideal of what it is to be a man or what it is to be a woman. And the world puts on us this pressure and conformity to shift our values away from what God has intended for them to be. And we don't even realize that it's happening until we get so far away that one day something happens and kind of jolts us and shakes us and lets us know, you know, I was once like Guerrero, I was once a Spaniard, but what would the Spaniards say about me now? The Antichrist culture that surrounds us wants to conform us and wants to define us. And Paul warned us in Romans 12 and 2, he said, do not be conformed to this world. The word there, conformed, it means mold. It means like a mold that, that, that hot metal would be poured into and would form into a certain shape. He says this world under heat and pressure wants to conform you to look just like it. But don't give in. Don't be molded to this world. Don't be conformed to its ideals. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He gave us An example, he said, the world is trying to conform you. But then he also gave us an antidote. He said, you're not just going to have to resist it, but what you need is you need transformation. You need change in your mind. You need to consistently and constantly be renewed in your mind only by the way that God can renew your mind. Only in the way that God can transform you. Shows us the power of the mind and how, sir, ma'am, you should protect your mind. And sometimes that comes down to making very difficult decisions. 
and doing things that are counterculture. Doing things that people say, well, why would you do that? I don't even understand. I, I can't comprehend why you would do that. My wife and I just recently made a decision to cancel one of the streaming services that you know, offer some, some enjoyable content. All, not all of it is horrible, but I'm just seeing this trend toward more and more ungodliness and unrighteousness that I finally told her, you know, there's other options out there. We can eliminate that. And that's counterculture. It's one of the fastest growing services in the U.S. But if you really really want to stand apart and not be conformed it means guarding some things and putting some things in place in your family in your home in your life that you're not conformed to the world second corinthians 10 4 through 5 paul said for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in god for the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You and I cannot win this battle carnally. But instead, he said, there's going to be some spiritual things that have to happen. And he said, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, he's saying you control your thought life, you control your mind, and you bring it into obedience in Christ's will. You do the will of God, and you're setting yourself up for success to overcome every attack that would come against you. Control your thought life and bring it into obedience Christ. You see, you can be in your surroundings and have the pressure to conform, but your surroundings not define who you are, what you are, or what you will become. God determines who you are. When you're obedient to Him, when you trust Him, when you allow Him to mold your mind and your ideals according to His Word, even whenever it doesn't make sense and even when it goes counterculture and against the world and against what friends and peers and even family members are saying, whenever you allow God to do that, it sets you up for blessings and success in a culture that is not set up for that. Your surroundings... Do not determine who you are. You see, the problem is this. It is so much easier to allow the external to persuade us into believing something about ourselves, what we are, who we are, instead of allowing God to define us. It's way too easy to allow someone to say that one thing and that one thing gets stuck in your head that you're not worthy. And we forever allow ourselves to be defined instead of looking at what God says about us. Or allowing what is happening in that moment of pressure to define who we are 
going forward. But your surroundings can never define who you are. I'll give you an example. Peter walking on the water to Jesus. He was one of Jesus' chosen men. I would even go as far as to say one of his, one of his right-hand men, one of the chosen picked out. And Peter did so many things with, with the Lord Jesus. It was amazing and was used mightily even after Jesus' ministry. But Peter, sitting in the boat, he gets called out to walk on the water, and he starts walking on that water. He's doing something that up until this point, only one other person has done. It's the person calling him out to himself. And he steps over on the side of the boat, and he gets on the water, and he starts taking steps. And he is doing it. He is walking on water. Now, this is not like some challenge that you face in life that you think, well, I wasn't sure I could do that, but once I started attempting and trying to do it, I overcame my fear and I did it. No, he's doing the impossible. He's doing supernatural stuff. He's walking on water because Jesus has called him to it. And so he's walking on that water. But the Bible says as the waves crashed and the wind blew, he noticed the waves. He noticed the storm. He noticed all of the outside indicators of what was going on. And he allowed that to define what should be happening in that moment in his life. He allowed the storm to define what he should be and should not be allowed to do. How many storms in our life have we allowed to define us? When the outside surrounding has nothing to do with what God has called us to and said that we could do. But we allow the outside to bring doubt. We allow the surroundings to determine the outcome. Chapter 6 of 2 Kings. The Syrians besiege a city, the city of Samaria. They surrounded them and they kill anything that was coming and going. They put the city city under complete lockdown. There's no trade coming in and out. There's nothing happening in Samaria. Anything that leaves the gate dies, and anything that approaches the gate dies. It is completely locked down. And inevitably, the thing that happens in a siege begins to happen in Samaria. They begin to run out of food. And it is so bad in Samaria as they run out of food that people are starting to eat donkey's heads. Donkey's heads are being highly valued and sold for a lot of money. It's so bad that people are collecting dove poop and they're selling that to survive. And dove poop is going for a very valuable sum. Even worse than that, they were turning and starting to eat their own children. It's a terrible situation. It's very bad. No one disagrees with it being bad. It appears that Samaria would be forced to surrender and become slaves to the Syrians if there's not anything that changes what is happening. But God, in that moment, He has other plans and Elisha tells the king that God is about to turn the situation around in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 1 he said hear the word of the Lord 
Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. We're going to go from selling donkey's heads and dove poop and eating children to having flour and having barley and it's going to be sold at rock bottom prices. It's going to be great. One of the officers standing there, he just could not believe. He could only see what surrounded them. He was defined in that moment as being a Samaritan under siege, in captivity, in lockdown, with no food and no way of escape. Verse 2, so an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And Elisha said, In fact, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you'll not eat any of it. You're going to see it happen, but you won't eat of it. I want to tell someone today, your surroundings do not define you. If you'll be obedient, you trust God. I don't care what the outside storm is saying. I don't care what the enemy at the gate is saying. I don't care what your own troubled heart is saying and you're fearing and you're wondering and you're worried and you're encroached upon and you're concerned with where everything is going. I do not care what those things are saying. What I'm saying is look to the Lord. Trust Him. Be obedient to His Word and you give everything into His hand and you will See what God can do regardless of the storm, regardless of the enemy, regardless of the surroundings, regardless of the culture that presses in on us, regardless of what the world says. There is a God that is a higher power than that. And if you'll commit your life to Him, He can take you through every one of it. Four lepers sit there at the inside of the gate And they sit there and they think, we can sit here, no food, lepers, nobody's helping us, and we can eventually die. Or we can go over to the Samaritans, or I mean the Syrian camp, might be inevitable anyway that we're going to surrender to Syria. We can go over there, and the worst thing that can happen is they see four lepers coming, and they decide that they're going to kill us. The worst thing that's happened is we die, and then we're going to die anyway. As they, accro- as they approach the Syrian camp, there's nothing. There's no enemy. There's no sound of enemy. There's no conversation going around going on around campfires, waiting on the enemy to surrender and give up. There's nothing. Imagine the moment that they're elated to walk into the camp and find that there's food that's been cooked, it's prepared, but nobody there. There's tents that are empty, warm cots and beds they could sleep in, but no enemy there. No one to defend it. No one to tell them no. No one to keep them from having their way. 
And we read this story and we think about this. We know what God did. God created the sound of chariots and horses and an army. And the Syrians heard this army coming and said, Oh no, the Samaritans, the king of Samaria, has brought in another army to defeat us. And they, in panic, run away and hide themselves. And we get that advantage. We get to see from a perspective that those lepers could not see. And that the people in Samaria would never even know except that it had been revealed. But those lepers walk into there not knowing that there, just prior to that there had been the sound of chariots. Not knowing that the army had fled in fear. Not knowing how it had come about to be this. They just walked in and said, we're four lepers, hungry, dying. We left Samaria. Or, yeah, we left Samaria to come to the Syrian camp. And all of a sudden what we find is no enemy and food ready for us. You see, surroundings do not define. And if you'll trust God, four lepers, they weren't necessarily trusting God. But they went in the direction that God used. God used them. They went back to the city and they said, hey, there's, there's no enemy out here. There's food. There's all of their provisions. Their camp is empty. Come on out here. There's plenty for everyone. Surroundings do not define. God defines. And God defined and said, you know what? Tomorrow, there's going to be a miraculous shift. You're going to go from having donkey's heads and dove uh, manure, and you're going to go from... Uh, sacrificing your own children and eating them to having plenty of flour, having plenty of barley, plenty to eat. God defined that. Now, I wish I could tell you that in your situation, in your life, in your current circumstance, that you're going to hear from God and God's going to say, this is how I'm going to do it. But I've walked long enough with the Lord to know God rarely tells me, this is what I'm going to do. You just stand back and watch how I do it. Most of the time, I'm more like one of those four lepers. I'm at a point of desperation. And I'm trying to trust God the entire time. And I finally say, well, I'm just going to go. And then I walk into a camp that's empty. I'm, I'm trying to tell someone today, I don't, I don't know how God's going to work out your current storm. I don't know how he's going to help you rise above it. But I do know if the Lord calls you and says, you just walk through this storm, then you can walk through that storm. Because the surroundings don't define you. If you're under the attack by the enemy and the Lord is saying, you just keep trusting me, tomorrow it's going to change. The next week it's going to change. Next month it's going to change. You keep trusting God. Because there'll be no enemy in the camp when God gets done. And you may not ever even know how he did it. You just know it's gone. Because the surroundings do not define you. When you're obedient to God, surroundings do not define you. Stand with me.
you will. Every man that's in this place, I want to talk to you for just a moment. Men are under a lot of pressure. What's the stereotype of the modern male? He's an idiot, doesn't know how to lead his family. He's a Homer Simpson of society. Pressure on the male is what? If you're masculine, you're probably toxic. If you want to lead your family, you're probably chauvinistic, misogynist. And all of these messages trying to tell you to conform, to be silent, the worst thing you can do in your life is to be silent. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be violent. But you cannot be silent. And you can speak truth in love. And I want to encourage every man in this place. Don't be conformed to this world. Find out what God wants a man to be. Become what God intended for you to be. Not the American ideal of what a man is. The Duke has no corner on what manhood is in America. Does anybody know who the Duke is? John Wayne. Fellow Western lover. That's what we see. We think that's being manly. That, that's not. Being manly is being godly. God identified himself most often as male. And to be godly is to be manly. When he chose to come, he came as a male, Jesus. So to be manly is to be godly. Find out what it is to be a man for God. And then you do it to the best of your ability in this world that is constantly trying to change you and is like sifting sand underneath your feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to end this service. God, I thank you for... Thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your promise that you would never leave or forsake us. I thank you for your spirit that shines in our life and lights our path and leads us as we humble ourselves before you. God, I pray that you would give every person in here the strength of faith, Lord, to look